So we are finishing this series, Let It Be, Whisper Words of Wisdom. I've mentioned verse 12 of the psalm, that we might gain a heart of wisdom. And boy, that takes some effort to understand how that works in our lives. Wisdom comes from a variety of different sources. It comes from God's Word. It comes from God's Spirit. It comes from other people. It comes from experiences and so forth. Well, we have been using this little chart here to kind of understand the three stanzas of this psalm. And we began when we were talking a little bit about God being immortal and yet we have this mortality that we struggle with. The second stanza is this idea of, is God mad at me? Is that why things are going wrong? And then this third stanza tells us that God knows the future for us, even though we can't understand what is in the front of us. So we are dealing with different things, different fears, the fear of death, being forgotten, the fear of punishment, the fear of judgment, and the fear of tomorrow. Well, when we look at each of these stanzas, we can see that there are several things that we need to do as we struggle with this thing that we call life. Yes, we have this desire for immortality, and we seek it in a variety of ways, and we have to accept our humanity without being apologetic for the fact that we're not perfect people. And then lastly today, we have to await God for tomorrow. So that has been our series so far, Seeking Immortality, and we talked a little bit with these icons about how the sand in the hourglass of our life we see running down, and as we do so, we have the option to plant some seeds, even though the seeds that we plant in this life will wither, these seeds are born in the lives of other people that carry on our legacy. Now, we talked about embracing our humanity as those that are made in the image of God. We talked a little bit about the fact that when we read the Bible, we are reading someone else's experience of God. And we are all locked in our own culture. We're all locked in our own perspective of who God is and what he is like. And that is certainly true for the psalmist as well. He thinks of God in terms that are found thousands of years ago. And he thinks of them, uh, of God, in terms of relationship with the other gods that were worshipped in the surrounding nations. And so he would kind of carry over, in many respects, his perspective, even if it was not accurate. And so what we find is this changing picture through the course of the Bible, helping us find a better focus of what God is really like. The ultimate revelation of who God is, I think, is found in the person, works, and grace of Jesus Christ. So today, I want to begin with the story of another lady. Uh, this lady here, uh, Simone Weil, is a French philosopher and mystic that tried to hold together things that we all struggle with, and that is... How do we hold together the goodness of God and the affliction of humanity? And that is called theodicy. That's a technical term, which means how can God be good and still allow things to happen in the world the way they unfold? Well, my message today is going to be this. So let me tell you how it's going to work. I'm going to give you two long quotes. 
One long quote at the beginning, a few comments in the middle, a long quote at the end, and then a video. Okay? So that's where we're going to go. All right. So the first quote I want to give to you is out of Simone's book that has been translated from French into English. She was born in Paris on February the 3rd, 1909. And this comes from her book, Waiting for God. This is what she says. The great enigma of human life is not suffering, but affliction. It's not surprising that the innocent are killed, tortured, driven from their country, made destitute or reduced to slavery, imprisoned in camps or cells, since there are criminals to perform such actions. It's not surprising either that disease is the cause of long sufferings, which paralyze life and can make it into an image of death, since nature is at the mercy of the blind play of mechanical necessities. But it is surprising that God should have given affliction the power to seize the very souls of the innocent and to take possession of them as their sovereign Lord. At the very best, he who is branded by affliction will keep only half his soul. Affliction makes God appear to be absent for a time, more absent than a dead man, more absent than light in the utter darkness of a cell. During this absence, there is nothing to love. What is terrible is that if in this darkness, where there is nothing to love, the soul ceases to love, God's absence becomes final. The soul has to go on loving, and the emptiness, or at least go on wanting to love, though it may only be within an infinitesimal part of itself then one day God will show himself to this soul and to reveal the beauty of the world to it. And that brings me to the title of this message, Awaiting God. We are waiting for God to show up and we are waiting for God to have an experience that brings to us strength and comfort. Now, Simone Weil goes on in this book and talks a little bit about the perspective often of seeing the love of God is going lower, not higher. You know, we can come to the conclusion that God is not good if we take experiences only at face value. But if we carry it forward and go lower so that we look up from the bottom rather than somewhere in the middle, what we find is as it is at the foot of the cross that we see perfect love hanging there. The crucifixion of Jesus is the embodiment of God's empathy and love toward all of us. Simone saw the infinite goodness of God, not in her circumstances, but in the crucified one. There flowing from Christ's wounds is healing love because he suffers with us in the course of our life. It is on the cross, Christ bears our afflictions with us, and it is there that we find hope. Now, the psalmist is pre-Jesus by thousands of years, so where does he find hope? Where does this one who is given the title, A Prayer of Moses, again, I've said in weeks past, we don't know if Moses wrote this, but he is the template for this psalm. And what we find is that Moses had a long journey through this life. 
He started out well in the sense that he was raised by Pharaoh's daughter. And for about 40 years, he was in the palace of Pharaoh. He had the best of the best. He had the best food and the best accommodations and the best service. But one day he saw the anguish of his people who were being mistreated by the Egyptians. And in his anger, he rises up and he kills one of the Egyptians. And now he's a fugitive and he's on the run. And he goes out into the desert and it's there that he begins tending the flocks of a man by the name of Jethro, who will become his father-in-law. It is there that God meets him in a burning bush. It is there that God gives to him the experience that he longs for because for approximately 40 years, all he has been doing is the same routine, day after day after day after day, tending the flock of his father-in-law. God meets him in this burning bush, and he says, you are going to be the mouthpiece to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Moses hesitates and needs a little bit of support, and he calls upon his brother Aaron to go to Pharaoh with him. And that's what he does. He says, let my people go. And after a course of plagues that is found in the book of Exodus, finally Pharaoh says, go. And they go out across a body of water, and they begin to move toward what God made a promise to, uh, to Abraham. This is going to be your promised land. This is where your people are going to find a land of milk and honey. And it is there that Moses sends out some spies and they come back and they say they're too big, they're too strong, they're too violent. And so they turn back and now the third leg of his life is he wanders in the wilderness with his people for almost 40 years. At the end of the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 34, he's coming to the end of his life. And God brings him up to a mountaintop to overlook the land. And there in Deuteronomy 34, he says, see the land, it's a good land, and I'm taking your people into this land. But Moses, you don't get to go. You're going to die on this side. Now we would think that that's unfair, right? After all that he's gone through, it's unfair, but God was raising up Joshua to follow in his footsteps, and Moses is an individual, I think, that feels the affliction of a life found in the desert for about 80 years of his life. And it is there that God tells him to look at with hope over the land, and it will be there that his people will grow and they will become a nation. And yet here's Moses struggling with what we would struggle with, right? This is unfair. It's not right. And yet a wise heart somehow must acknowledge that we don't have the full knowledge. You see, a wise heart does not refer to knowledge or skill or technique or even the capacity to control various things. It's the ability to submit to tomorrow and wait for God when we, have, we do not have control. There are things that are connected in life that are mysterious, that we will never fully understand. They are connected in inscrutable ways that will ultimately not be mocked by our frail, small existence in this life. But what the psalmist does do is begin to turn back to what he knows. 
he begins to understand that God is the one that initiated this process of bringing Moses and his people out of slavery toward a promised land. And it is there that the psalmist, using the Moses template, will say, may the favor of our Lord rest on us, and may he establish the work of our hands. So when you look at this psalm, it ends on a high note. But it follows a template that all the psalms seem to follow, and here it is. There is a sense of orientation in the psalm. Praise the Lord, the Lord is good. And then the real experience of life brings disorientation. Life happens to us, and we are hurt, and we are afflicted with various things. But the psalmist has a way of coming back around and being reoriented to to what God has done in the past and will do in the future even though we can't see it. Moses can't see into tomorrow. He cannot see what it's gonna ha- what's going to happen to his people. But he begins in faith to wait upon God. And as he awaits God's movement, he trusts and reorients himself to the fact that God had already done a work in his life. And what we find is he expects God to do a, uh, an additional work in the lives of those that he will leave behind. I'm not sure any of us will ever, ever fully realize whether we cross the finish line in this life as we have defined it. Many times what we'll do is we'll cross over that finish life, uh, line and we will enter into the presence of God And we will think that our life has been a failure because we didn't achieve all of these marks. But I truly believe that when we cross over into glory, if we've been faithful with the opportunities God has given to us, we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful in a few things. Now you will be faithful. You will be given many opportunities. None of us really knows how the transformation of the afflictions of our life will ultimately turn into the better. But we have to wait on God to trust that. So maybe you're in one of these spots right now. Maybe you're in the orientation phase. I'm just learning about the love of God revealed in Christ. Or maybe you're disillusioned and you're disoriented because all of these things have left you confused. Or maybe you're in the process of reorienting yourself. This little insight here uh, comes from a theologian by the name of Walter Brueggemann. And uh, he, in his book on the Psalms, and we'll talk about this on Wednesday night a little bit more, uh, talks about this pattern that is not only true of the Psalms, but it is also true of all of our lives. We go through this cycle Again and again, it's not one time, it's many times that we go through this cycle. So what do we do with it? Well, we come back and we are reminded as to how this psalm closes off. This psalm says, may your deeds be shown to your servants and your splendor to their children. Maybe, just maybe, what we have gone through in our life, as hard as it is, has prepared those that follow us. It might be our children, it might be our grandchildren, it might be a friend, it might be someone else that follows in your footsteps because you were awaiting God to show up 
and you were faithful and trusting that God is good, even when at times you doubt that, and it's okay. What he is saying is satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. Get up in the morning and remind yourself that you can't fully understand life. Get up in the morning and understand that the ability to control life is beyond your ability. It's beyond your skill set. So what do you need to do? You need to wait on God that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days, he says in verse 14. Make us glad. Make us glad. And may the favor of the Lord rest on us. And then may he establish the works of our hands even after our hands have been laid to rest. Well, I mentioned a moment ago that that becomes the prequel to the next psalm. How do you get up in the morning and await God and expect God to show up to help you in the middle of your circumstances and troubles? Well, you need some imagery. And that's why I think the editors of the Psalms put this Psalm right next to Psalm 90. He who dwells, not just visits, someone who dwells, that sits in the shadow of God, will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And we will be reminded, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare. And that could be anything. Obviously, the psalmist had something specific in mind, and it probably doesn't have anything to do with our life, right? It's completely different. What was the problem 3,000 years ago when this was written, right? It's much different than those of us living in the 21st century. So that brings me to the second quote. Remember I told you? Two long quotes, a few comments in the middle, okay? Here's the second quote. So... This young lady, Jane, um, she had a blog, and this is what she wrote, and she titled this blog, God is on the Bathroom Floor. Listen. I spent three months propped against the wall. On nights that I could not sleep, I laid in the tub like an insect, staring at my reflection in the shower knob. I vomited until I was hollow. I rolled up under my robe on the tile. The bathroom floor became my place to hide, where I could scream and be ugly, where I could sob and spit and eventually doze off, happy to be asleep, even with my head on the toilet. I've had cancer three times now, and I have barely passed 30. There are times when I wonder what I must have done to deserve such a story. That's last week's message, right? Okay. I fear sometimes that when I die and meet with God, that he will say I disappointed him or offended him or failed him. Maybe he'll say I just never learned the lesson or that I wasn't grateful enough. But one thing I know for sure is this. He can never say that he did not know me. I am God's downstairs neighbor, banging on the ceiling with a broomstick. I show up at his door every day, sometimes with songs and sometimes with curses, sometimes apologies, gifts, questions, demands. Sometimes I use my key under the mat to let myself in. At other times, I sulk outside until he opens the door to me himself. 
I have called him a cheat and a liar, and I meant it. I have told him I wanted to die, and I meant it. Tears have become the only prayer I know. Prayers roll over my nostrils and drip down my forearms. They fall to the ground as I reach for him. There are prayers I repeat night and day, sunrise, sunset. Call me bitter if you want to. That's fair. Count me among the angry, the cynical, the offended, the hardened. But count me also among the friends of God, for I have seen him in rare form. I have felt his exhale, laid in his shadow, squinted to read the message he wrote for me in the grout. I'm sad too. I see mercy in the dusty sunlight that outlines the trees, in my mother's crooked hands, in the blanket my friend left for me, in the harmony of the wind chimes. It's not the mercy that I ask for, but it is mercy nonetheless. And I learned a new prayer, thank you. It's a prayer I don't mean yet, but will repeat until I do. Call me cursed, call me lost, call me scorned, but that's not all. Call me chosen, blessed, sought after. Call me the one who God whispers his secrets to. I am the one whose belly is filled with loaves of mercy that were hidden for me. Even on days when I'm not so sick, sometimes I go lay on the mat in the afternoon light to listen for him. I know it sounds crazy, and I can't really explain it, but God is there even now. I heard it said that some people can't see God because they won't look low enough. And it's true. Look lower. It's the same thing that Simone Weil said, right? God is on the bathroom floor. Let's see how she talks about this in light of these two things. The book of Ecclesiastes 8, 7, and 8 says, Since no one knows the future, who can tell someone else what is to come? As no one has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the time of their death. Proverbs 24, 14 says, Know also that wisdom is like honey for you. If you find it, there is a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. Let's watch. Hello. Hi. How Hello. are you? I'm awesome. I'm so happy to be here. Well, we're happy you are. What's your name? My name's Jane. When I sing, I go by Nightbird. Oh, that's nice. Nightbird? That's right. Uh, did you sing? Do you sing for a living? Um, not not recently. Where are you from? I'm from Zanesville, Ohio. Okay. How old are you? I'm 30. 30 years old. And the dream is to be a singer. What are you going to be singing for us tonight? I'm singing an original song called It's Okay. It's okay. Yeah. It is. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. What is It's Okay about? Uh, it's Okay is the story of the last year of my life. All right. And who are you here with? I'm here by myself. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you do for a living? Um, I have not been working for quite a few years. I've been dealing with cancer. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, it's okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm okay. All right. Can I, can I ask you a question? How are you now? Uh, last time I checked, I had some cancer in my lungs, my spine, and my liver. Wow. So you're not okay? Uh, well, not in every way, no. 
You got a beautiful smile and a beautiful glow, mm -hmm. and nobody would know. Thank you. It's important that uh, everyone knows I'm so much more than the bad things that yes. happen to me. Yes. All right. Sing for us. Good luck. Nightbird. There are, however, there have been some great singers this year. Um, and I'm not going to give you a yes. I'm going to give you something else. Hi friends, this is What's Up. So for the next 48 hours, a very generous friend of mine is going to match all donations up to $1,500. So if you have been thinking about giving to my GoFundMe and haven't done that yet, do it this weekend. So starting tonight through Sunday night, 
anything that you give is going to be doubled and that is huge for me um i am doing really well i started treatment and i can already feel such a difference and it's also because of getting so much support and so much love and prayers um, from all of you i cannot say thank you enough uh, it's all so overwhelming in a beautiful way and i'm so grateful and i love you Hi team, I have some really great news. I got some uh, blood work back yesterday that showed that my tumor markers have decreased dramatically in the time that I've been here. The doctor said that it's an actual miracle that someone with my stage of cancer would be recovering at this rapid pace, especially at my age. Um, so she told me, I don't know who's praying for you, but tell them not to stop because it's working. Um, so thank you, thank you, thank you. I love you so much. Um, I wish that I could give back all the love and support that you have given to me. Um, we're going to continue with treatment for another four weeks and check again, but I'm expecting good news and perfect news. And I believe in miracles and impossible things and we're seeing it happen. And I'm so grateful. in the summertime I changed my name thinking that it would change my mind I thought that all my problems they would stay behind I was a stick of dynamite and it just was a matter of time It's alright, it's alright, 
video because it brings this psalm all together. We all seek immortality in some way, but we have to accept our humanity the way it is, and we have to await God to make the difference. That's what the psalm is all about, right? Well, we've been having some problems posting some of these videos onto YouTube, so uh, we've been having them blocked. All right, so if you want to find this, when Corey uploads this service, he'll have a link there to the YouTube if you want to find it, if you want to watch it again, okay? Would you stand as we close? <clears throat> I want to close with a benediction that comes from the words of the hymn writer. I want you to just close your eyes for a moment. You might be familiar with this hymn or it might be brand new to you. Immortal, invisible, God only wise. In light inaccessible, hid from our eyes. Most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days. Almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. To all life you give, to both great and small, in all life you live, the true life of all. Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light inaccessible, hid from our eyes. Amen and amen. We'll see you up at the restaurant. God bless you. If you're not going, I hope you have a great week. <laughs>